Awesome. Let me get closer. Yes. All right, you guys, we are rolling into another episode of Return. So happy to have you here with us today. Happy to be back. Yeah, and we are going to be talking today about why we need a savior and kind of stepping back and taking a broader picture of uh, the gospel, of the good news, um, and really looking at why it was necessary for Jesus to come twice. So looking forward to jumping into it. So Benji and I are um, super happy to be back and recording this other episode of the podcast. We uh, spent about 10 days in Canada last week, and so um, we are definitely behind schedule on getting this out to you guys. Apologize for that. But we were spending some time with my family, introducing our eight-month daughter to grandparents and family who hadn't met her yet. We got to spend some time up at a cottage and yeah, just start the summer off that way. So yeah. it was nice and we're back to work, back to work, a lot of responsibilities waiting for us in the next few days. Yeah. But all good stuff. We're happy to be back and happy to be recording this episode with you guys. So we're going to jump into the content in just a second. All right, so the question and the topic that we want to look at today is why do we need a savior? And obviously, we're all pretty familiar with, you know, the garden story all the way from the beginning, going back to Genesis of how God created the heavens and the earth. He creates the animals, Adam and Eve, and he sets Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden and he gives them this command in Genesis 1.28. He tells Adam, I want you to be fruitful. Yeah. I want you to multiply, to fill the earth. And I want you to have dominion over the earth. I want you to have dominion over the animals, um, over you know the, the things that I've given you the creation. for food. Oh, for creation, yeah. But as we're all pretty familiar with... That doesn't go very long because pretty soon afterwards we see the serpent makes his way into the garden and um, Adam and Eve disobey the commandment of God, which was to not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And so what we see is that that dominion that Adam and Eve had and were given by God, they ended up giving over to Satan, to that serpent, and we experience this moment in history that really has affected us in the most consequential ways up until now, and that is the entrance of sin into the earth. And so I would just want to look briefly at Genesis 3.15 because it is actually a really crucial moment in this storyline um, where, I don't know, maybe you want to kind of take it away, but just how there's redemption even in the midst of the very, oh, I'm getting a phone call. <laughs> there's redemption in the midst of the very moment of sin coming into the earth. So mm -hmm. Genesis 3.15, what do we see happening? Well, it's so loaded. Genesis 3.15 is why we are here. It is the reason why 
we have hope. We lost it and God didn't have the obligation to have give us a second chance as humanity. But what God does is he releases a prophecy and that starts a war. And starts a war but starts the disposition that Jesus had before he created anything. That he was the lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world. So he says... Now I'm stepping into, not because I'm frustrated with humanity because they fell, it's because this is who I am before you guys even existed. I am ready to be sacrificed for love. So he, what he says is, I'm going to bring a seed. I'm going to bring forth a king, a man that is going to redeem humanity and is going to basically replace you Adam he's gonna do the job that you didn't do and he's gonna not only resist the temptation of Satan but he's gonna conquer and he's gonna conquer the sins of the world and he's gonna crush the head of the serpent right there in Genesis 3:15, we see a little hint of the two comings of Jesus one to save us from the from the sins of the world and second to destroy Satan forever physically. Mm-hmm. So that's what happens. And it's so it starts a, a war between the woman, which represents Israel, and it's Eve, right? And humanity and everyone who is following God against serpent and the principalities and powers. It's like if you have a if President Trump has a problem with the president of whatever another South Korea, it that means that you have a problem with the whole country, you know? So my point is that the woman and Satan, they represent all of humanity and all of the demons and principalities. And therefore you see throughout the Old Testament, this war and Satan over and over trying to kill the chosen people that will bring forth that man. And Satan is driven, all the, New Test- the Old Testament, Satan is driven by fear of these men coming out because he was afraid of um, his head being crushed. Yeah, the so seed that, of the woman. The seed of the woman, which ends up being Jesus in the in the ful- fulfillment of times, you know, in the fullness of times. So that's that's Genesis 3.15 in like five seconds, you know. It's, yeah. It's much more than that. But so something that I find interesting is I think it's important to note that when uh, Adam gave over the dominion that God had given to him and Eve when, when they ate of the tree of the knowledge of the good of of good and evil, and they followed Satan rather than following God. um, Adam gave his dominion of the earth over to Satan, which is why we see in Ephesians two verse one, that Satan is now the prince of the power of the air. And it says that, is he's the spirit that's now at work in the sons of disobedience. And so what we yeah. see is sin really is the fruit of, or is it's, uh, the earth is still under the weight of sin coming from that decision all the way back in the garden. And when we see, um, you know, evil at work, when we see injustice at work, we're seeing the earth still under the influence and under the sway yeah. of the power of the air, which is seen. And so, yeah, Genesis 3.15, there's this promise right from that moment of the fall that God would bring redemption, that he would make things right, essentially. Mm-hmm. And so 
from there, we, we've talked about this a little bit in previous episodes where we kind of start tracing the seed. And the reason I think we love talking about this is it just makes so much sense of the gospel. Yeah. Like you're really able to even track with um, what's happening in Old Testament and New Testament when you understand kind of this bigger, broader picture of what's going on. Yeah. So, but yeah, what happens is we see the promise of the seed. I just want to say something. Yeah. There's two major misunderstandings when we say gospel in general. And I'm saying those are the two main ones that I find. Is number one, that the gospel is only the New Testament story of Jesus. That's not true. Yeah. And second one, people say sometimes, oh, I'm not into that end time thing. I'm, I need to preach the gospel. I'm more into winning the lost, the lost, right? And it's like, it's both and. It's the gospel is the Old Testament story fulfilling the New Testament with a promise of an end time, the era, the end of an era of Satan being the prince of the earth. That's why we call up, we, we say the end times because it's, when we say we're preaching salvation, we're preaching the gospel, we are announcing a death sentence for Satan and a takeover from uh, from Jesus. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, yeah. Anyway, so that just want to say that. No, yeah, because that's something, I mean, this is where we're trying to get this podcast to go is at the end, we want to see why both the first coming of Jesus was necessary to defeat Satan, but how the second coming of Jesus is the ultimate victory yeah. over Satan. Because what we see is Jesus came on the cross 2,000 years ago from, you know, where we're living in present day. But we very much see today how the earth is still under the influence. It's still under the weight of sin that people do not want God. They do not want his ways, his laws, and they do not want his son. They don't want Jesus. And so there's kind of these um, two... uh, comings that we have to now reckon with and deal with and yet they're very much an essential part of uh, the gospel story and is the climax so okay going back to just what we were talking about though how now we see that there's a promise of the seed and we can see from genesis we start tracing that seed how god again finds a friend in abraham and then he becomes through renewing this relationship or making a covenant with Abraham. He makes a covenant with Abraham. He makes a covenant with Isaac and he makes a covenant with Jacob. And we know, okay, it's through this people group, through this, you know, family that the seed is going to come. And and then you get the story of Israel in in Egypt and the Exodus and all that stuff. But I want us to look really quickly about um, just what happens in Exodus 19. Mm-hmm. So Exodus 19 is a crucial part of the storyline because God betrothes himself to the people there. And I don't know. It's you... crazy. Yeah. It's crazy that God would not only save us in our rebellion, but he will say, I'm going to marry you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but anyways, yeah. So he's, he's, not, he's promising more than just salvation from sins and oppressors he salvation means going back to the garden exodus 19 is gives us hope that the first two chapters of genesis can and will happen again mm-hmm. in a global scale mm-hmm. we'll will be with him forever yeah the fellowship that was lost in the garden 
Exodus 19 is the reintroduction of that. Like mm. God is saying, hey, I want to dwell with you. I want to be close to you. Mm. But again, because of sin, uh, there's you know all these things that need to happen in order for God to draw close. And I think one of the biggest things that I am wanting to highlight right now about Exodus 19 and, and the chapters that follow is God introduces the law to Israel, yeah. essentially to tell them, uh, I mean, we see from Romans uh, 7, 7, the question is kind of asked, like, why is the law necessary? And Paul says, well, the law is necessary because the law reveals to me what sin actually is. I wouldn't have known that I wasn't supposed to covet unless the law said thou shalt not covet, right? And so what happens is God reveals what sin is to mm-hmm. Israel. He betroths himself to them, right, as the bridegroom, and they sign up voluntarily to yeah, say... Without knowing that much of the implications. Yeah. yeah, but they do sign up voluntarily to say, yes, we do want to, one, betroth ourselves to you, and we will follow you. We mm-hmm. will love you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and we will have no other gods before you. It's their vows, yeah. But... I mean, the crazy thing, and I'm like, I think we all resonate with this, is always within one generation of um, Israel, like, signing up to to love the Lord, it's always within one generation that we see them yeah. going after their own heart, following the dictates of their own heart. Yeah, it's crazy. So We needed more than, we needed a savior from our own sinful nature. Yeah. And that's the mystery of the gospel, the mystery of uh, godliness. Paul calls it in, in I think, it's First Timothy 3, uh, 16. That is that God had to come in the flesh. That is not just an external savior to have better conditions. That is not, not under Pharaoh, no, not under the Caesar. It's, that's what Israel was thinking. But just a few people like Moses, like Abraham... David, they found the delight in God that it was actually the law was not an impediment for their fun. They delight in the law of God because it approached them to this being that was pure and holy. And they were craving through the Holy Spirit in them. They were craving, they were announcing, they were desiring that redemption of the heart Mm -hmm. that God will, because prophet Jeremiah announced that God will save us by giving us a heart of flesh, by giving us a heart that is able to have the conviction of sin, being able to be holy as he's holy. So that, that's the Old Testament is this announcement of, that was a mystery because most people didn't see it, and that there will be a Savior that will give us humility like God is humble, that will give us meekness, that will give us holiness. Um, so salvation is both things. We need salvation for the external situations and physical, but also from the internal struggle of not wanting God's law. Yeah. And that's the point that I want to kind of dig up a little bit more. We kind of see that there becomes this mindset. Um, I think both from the time of Deuteronomy and then it just gets more and more solidified as time goes by. But how Israel expects God to just be the physical deliverer yeah. of their enemies, but there's not as much, even though God talks about it a lot in Old Testament scripture, 
there's not really this expectation of a deliverer from their inward sin. And so I just wanted, maybe you can expand a little bit on where does Israel get this expectation of, you know, a king that would come deliver them from their physical enemies? Yeah, God gives them in Deuteronomy 17, verse 14 on till the end of 17. He promises that when they get in the land, he says, when you get in the land, I give you, I'm going to give you a king according to my own heart. Which ends up being David, a fulfillment of it, and a shadow of Jesus. And over and over, even Deuteronomy 32, um, um, God is always promising, hey, you just came out of this slavery from with Pharaoh, but you guys are going to go back to slavery again, and again, and again, and I'm going to raise up a deliverer. So even through Judges, the book of Judges, is always the announcement of, I am going to save you. So that's why um, that's why everyone in the generation of Jesus, they were expecting Jesus, if he was the Messiah, to deliver them from the Roman Empire. Mm-hmm. But that was the mystery that they didn't know that God was intending to not only make their lives better, but to change their heart's nature by dying on the cross as the lamb that he is. That's why they crucify him. Because Paul says in 1 Corinthians, if this mystery was not... Uh, was exposed, then the principalities would not have killed Jesus. It was a mystery that only Jesus knew about. Mm-hmm. and uh, But that was the expectation. That's why they were like super disappointed with Jesus. They only wanted a king that give them gave them more money. Yeah. Not, not fellowship and humility with him. It's kind of interesting because I've been thinking about this too, of how like, okay, there's this concept of Israel, even to this day, Israel's really looking for a physical deliverer. Like everything has to do with, you know, the oppression of the enemies around them. And I can understand why, because they live under this very real threat of people are constantly trying to wipe them, you know, off the face of the earth and, and just completely annihilate them as a people group. But I've been kind of noticing as I've been reading through scripture, how like just this idea of God as their physical deliverer, I feel like even the story of the Exodus from Egypt, that's how God first revealed himself to them. Like, Hey, I'm your physical deliverer. Yeah. But that's where I'm like, I feel like there was something almost lost in translation when he gave them the law to say, Hey, this is actually a lot more about me bringing you out of slavery physically this is about me bringing you out of internal slavery the bondage to sin that you lost you know all the way back in the garden with adam Mm -hmm. but the thing that i just i think that we see over and over throughout the old testament and leading up to the new testament is they didn't realize that they needed the internal cleansing and to this day they don't realize it Mm -hmm. and this isn't to pick on israel only because that's um, all of us. Every it's all nation. of us. Yeah. Every nation just wants better trades, better economy. And if if God is useful to do that, then we use him. Once we get what we wanted, we don't care about God. Yeah. That's why you see the, the harlotry of Israel over and over again. They were using God for the army. But in even the priests in the inward parts, Ezekiel says, sees them worshiping another God because they loved other demons. Yeah. It's like... 
theme on faithfulness of human nature is just to use God for our own benefit, but not for fellowship. Yeah. Okay, so I want to go back to that question that we kind of premised at the very beginning is why was it necessary or why is it necessary for Jesus to come twice? And I think the way at least that the gospel has been presented um, in Western culture, a lot of us understand why Jesus had to come the first time. Because we kind of get the idea, oh, he came and he died on the cross and he redeemed us from our sins. Because mm-hmm. uh, that's kind of what we've known the most, which I don't know if you want to like develop that a little bit more. Yeah. Uh, no, continue. It's just... Okay. Yeah. Well, basically it's like we see that in order for God to dwell with people on the earth in order to regain that fellowship that was lost in the garden and even to regain the dominion that Adam handed over to Satan, there needed to be an atonement for sin. Blood has to be spilt. There has to be uh, what Jeremiah promised. You mentioned that verse earlier. What Jeremiah promised was the heart of stone replaced for the heart of flesh where the law of God would actually be written on the heart so that internally there is actual obedience to God. Mm-hmm. Because that's the thing is left to left to our own devices, left to our own heart, it's like we automatically just start doing things our way. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where the Western church has kind of left the gospel, so to speak, is, oh, Jesus, you know, he defeated Satan at the cross. He, um, you know, he got the dominion back and all that. And that's where we're like, yes and amen. Like Jesus did defeat Satan at the cross, yet there's still this in between right now where we don't see the uh, fullness of that victory. Yeah. And that's why really it's necessary, even as part of the gospel, and I think it's a crucial part of even presenting the gospel to unbelievers, is to talk about Jesus coming back again. And it has to do with the fact that the victory that he won at that cross, the the internal uh, victory that we have, he's coming to actually set it up as a physical victory on the earth to implement it. And you brought up this um, verse from Hebrews, uh, Hebrews 9, 28, that says, So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. So can you just like break down a little bit? Why, what is Jesus accomplishing when he comes the second time? That's, uh, well, you can find the expansion of that verse in Isaiah 26 when he's talking about the last generation awaiting for his return, even in the night desiring him. What he accomplishes is the salvation of Israel and also the salvation of our bodies. We are getting older and our bodies are constantly dying. So, um, we need a complete salvation of our spirit, which God saved us. Our soul is being in a process of sanctification, but our bodies need to die and be redeemed. So when he appears, what he does is he absorbs death from our bodies. He gives us a glorified body that is able to enter in the promises 
without ever being even tempted to sin or wanting to sin at all. It's not only the heart of flesh, it's a glorified body that has no nature, uh, nature of sin at all. That's why he has to come back uh, for a second time. So the work is not over. Mm-hmm. We, we can accomplish this by our own works and revivals. We need Jesus to come back. Yeah. I love revivals. We need to contend for revivals. But a church that is thinking that we can bring the millennial kingdom by our own works with the Holy Spirit without Jesus coming back, it's a, it's a mistake. And I love, though, also that the first coming of Jesus, like we talked about, gives that inward victory, the spiritual victory which Israel was not expecting, but Israel's mindset of the physical deliverer of the, you know, God King that's coming to give them deliverance from physical enemies. The expectation of the physical deliverer is accurate as well, because what's happening is Jesus, his second coming really is also about delivering Israel and not just Israel. Now it's delivering all of his people, everyone who believe in him, in that atoning work of the cross by faith, he's delivering them from their enemies physically. Yeah. Yeah. And so what we see is death is swallowed up forever at his coming. We see also that um, just the enemies of God, people who do not want him and who oppose him, he will bring final deliverance to. Yeah. And so that's why the two comings of Jesus are so important. And even the delay that we are in right now, it is part of the grand storyline of the gospel. And so that's why we need to preach Jesus' first coming and the victory of the cross, but also the coming victory of when he splits the skies and and actually gets rid of all the enemies of God and of us. That's true. Amen. Amen. Cool beans. Talk to you guys later. Bye-bye.